Pastor Chris's podcast. I want to read to begin with today from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, and this is verses 7 and 8. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks. To everyone who knocks, the door will be open. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus always was happy when people would ask questions. He knew that, that people who ask questions, people who seek and search, are the ones that he's more able to help. It's not people that ask questions or people who have doubts that trouble them. It's people who are disinterested, people who just don't care, people who 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 don't have any drive to seek answers. So um, he he told us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking, and he will give answers to our questions. And I want to thank you all for your questions. Um, I asked you for questions last week because at first we didn't get any, but now we got a bunch of questions. So thank you so much for asking questions. We got so many questions that came in last Sunday and over the course of the week. I had to change my preaching plans for the next several weeks uh, because I wouldn't have time to answer some of these questions. You have some really good questions. Uh, So for the next few weeks, we're going to answer questions um, about religion, about heaven, about forgiveness, and even questions about racism. So uh, we'll be looking at those over the next several weeks. Today, though, I want to answer a few general questions that came in. Uh, I tried to kind of group all the questions together in topics that were related. And today the questions are about Jesus and his personality. Uh, Also questions about baptism and questions about the Bible. So uh, the first question that I want to look at today is, does Jesus have a personality? Does he have a sense of humor? So that's the question for today. Does Jesus have a personality? Does Jesus have a sense of humor? Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So from the very beginning, when we hear of God creating humanity, we see that people are made in God's image. So that's point number one that I want to to share. And then the second scripture I want to point out is John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now in John, when he uses the, the word, word, he is talking about Jesus. So you could say that same verse this way. In the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. And the point of that is that Jesus is God. So we see two points here. First of all, people are made in the image of God. And secondly, Jesus is God. People are made in the image of God. We are created to reflect his character. People are created, in other words, to be mirrors that reflect God. So if you look at people, you see something of what God is. In the beginning, God created Adam. Adam was in the beginning, Adam and Eve were perfect. They had no sin in their life. They, in other words, they reflected God's character perfectly. 
Then sin came along and it sort of smashed the mirror of their, their reflection. They reflected God perfectly in the beginning, but then when sin came along, that mirror became smashed. Have you ever seen a broken mirror? Have you ever looked in a broken mirror? Can you see anything in it? Yes, you can see your reflection in the mirror, but it is broken and it is cracked, and so you don't see it perfectly. It's the, the image that you see in a broken mirror is distorted. So if you look at people today, people who are now no longer perfect, people who are fallen and sinful, but you still see a reflection of God in them. And it's just that the reflection is now broken and distorted and it is not, it is imperfect. But do people have personality? Yes. Do people have sense of humor? Yes. Some more than others. <laughs> but, but that is a part of our character. It is an imperfect uh, representation of what God is, but it is part of. I believe if people have personality and people have a sense of humor, then God does too, because we are created in His image. Now, Jesus is the perfect uh, representation of God. Jesus was without sin, and the 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 Scripture tells us that Jesus was with God in the beginning, and that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. So. It's one of the, the uh, mysterious and difficult doctrines of the church is that Jesus Christ is at the same time fully God and fully man. Now, that is a difficult concept for us to understand um, and a difficult concept for us to explain, but Jesus Christ is God and man. He is completely fully God and also completely fully man. It's a mystery. However, it's an essential element of our understanding and our teaching uh, of Jesus Christ. It has been the teaching of the church for, uh, for two millennia. Um, Jesus Christ was simultaneously God in every way and also human in every way. And Jesus is a perfect example of what humanity was designed to be. The miracle, uh, what was the very first miracle that Jesus performed? You know, he turned water into wine. Okay, now where was Jesus when he did that? He was at a wedding. More specifically, he was at the party after the wedding. So think about that. You ask the question, did Jesus have a personality? Did Jesus have a sense of humor? Well, we know that the... <laughs> The very first miracle that he did was he turned water into wine at a wedding party. Have you ever been to a wedding party? Are they not fun? Uh, are, is it not a joyous occasion? What happens at a wedding? Dancing is happening and socializing is happening and partying is happening and celebration is happening and everybody's having a good time. And that is where we find Jesus when he does his very first miracle. And his very first miracle was turning water into wine to help the cel with the celebration. So I think it's fair to say that's a good indication that Jesus had a pretty good personality. People were drawn to him. People liked to be around him. Who, do you, who are you drawn to be around? Is it some boring person who never says anything funny or never has a good time? That's not usually who we're drawn to, is it? We're usually drawn to people who have a, a fun personality, someone that we enjoy being around. People were drawn to Jesus I think it's fair to say that he had a pretty good personality and he had a sense of humor. We know that Jesus had emotions. He was a human being. Although he was fully God, he was also fully human. 
And he had emotions. We read about those emotions. We read about times when he was full of joy. We also read the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. So we know that he had sadness and that he cried. We know that Jesus got angry. People, don't like, people like to talk about the gentle Jesus who was sweet and kind. But we forget that Jesus got angry. One time he got so angry he made a whip and he chased the money changers out of the temple. Because of their, their sin was so bad and it made him so angry. So we know that Jesus had other emotions. If he, was, if he was joyful and if he wept and if he was angry, don't you think he probably laughed sometimes? I think he did. I think he laughs all the time. All I got to do is tell him where I think my plans ought to go and how my life ought to go. And I can just hear him laughing as he thinks, yeah, you think you've got it all figured out. But you have no idea what's coming down the road. And he just kind of has to laugh at me, I think, sometimes. When you read Jesus' parables, sometimes you find elements of humor in them. We miss them often because we're not Jewish people living in uh, the first century. You know how it is that sometimes you don't understand the jokes of other people's cultures? Have you ever watched British, hum British comedies? Sometimes you just watch them and you scratch your head. It's supposed to be funny, but you just don't laugh because you don't get it. Well, imagine Jesus is trying to share humor to Jews 2,000 years ago, and we don't even speak the language or have the culture, so we miss that humor sometimes. But Jesus was definitely uh, a funny person, had a sense of humor, and he had a personality. So thank you for that question. I hope that that, that is a good um, response for you. But here's a question that I think Jesus would ask you. Does Jesus, is he a personality to you? Is he a person to you? Or is Jesus just somebody that you read about in a book? Is he just someone that you think of as that stained glass, stained glass window picture that you have seen? Is he just a picture of a person? Or is he somebody that you walk up to and you can talk to? And you can joke with? And you can cry with? The same way that you would do that with the person that's sitting next to you in the pew today. Jesus is a real person. But Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. He's here with us today. So the question maybe then is, has he become a real person to you through your faith? Another question that came in that I want to address is, what is the difference in immersion and sprinkling as it relates to baptism? So here's a totally, you know, a different question going in a different direction. A technical question about uh, worship ceremonies. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, but we practice the one baptism sometimes in different ways. Immersion is a technical term. It, it's commonly known as dunking. That's where you baptize a person and you dip them completely under the surface of the water and then bring them back out. Usually it's done in a baptismal pool, or it could be done in a lake, or as we did uh, earlier this year, uh, in, a, in a river, in a creek. That's called immersion. Immersion is a beautiful ceremony that symbolizes being buried and brought back to life. Because in the Christian faith, when we become a Christian, we say that we have died to our old selfish way of living and then reborn as a new person 
who is now following Christ. So symbolically, when we baptize someone through immersion, we bury them, they have died, and we raise them as a new person, washed clean. It's a beautiful symbol. But um, we also may baptize people by the method of sprinkling, where that's what we typically do here in this sanctuary. Here with the baptismal fountain, there's a bowl of water inside, and we dip our fingers in it, and we'll sprinkle that on the top of somebody's head. Sprinkling also has images from Scripture. In the Old Testament, uh, when God chose the Israelites to be his people, he said, you are going to be my people set apart as a holy, sanctified people who will represent me. And the way that he initiated them as his people was he sprinkled them with water and blood during a purification ritual. And so when we baptize people by the method of sprinkling, we recall the image of being chosen as God's people who have been sprinkled with his blood and with his water, the blood of Christ and the purifying water of, of, uh, of God's Holy Spirit. Um, another method that we don't see practiced as much is, uh, um, is a method of baptism that is known as pouring. That's where you take a ladle of water or a pitcher of water and you pour it over the person's head. And um, that is another way that you could baptize someone. And it has uh, symbology with it as well. It symbolizes the, that God is pouring out his Holy Spirit on this person who has chosen to follow Christ. So you could be baptized by immersion, sprinkling, or pouring. And um, all of those are valid. And we accept all of those methods of baptism within our church. Um, let me ask you a question. If God is doing something when he baptizes us, how much water does it take? Does it take a whole pool of water? Or does it take a whole river or a whole ocean of water? Or is it just a pitcher full of water? Or is it just a few sprinkled drops of water? Um, one monk was asked that question uh, years and years ago, and he said it takes three drops of water for, valid, for a baptism to be valid. Three drops of water, one for God the Father, one for God the Son, and one for God the Holy Spirit. I thought that was a pretty good answer. God can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to baptize us, it doesn't matter how much water we use. It doesn't matter if we even use water. He could do it without the water if he wanted to. God can pour out his grace and his help on us despite how we do it. Or even if, you know, sometimes, and I'm down there baptizing someone, quite frequently, I mix the words up. <laughs> even though I'm reading them from the book, I, I mix them up and I don't say them right. Does that mean that that baptism didn't take? No. God is the one that's doing the baptism. I'm just standing there in between, as, an, as an intermediary. And God does what he does regardless of, of uh, whether I get it right or not. Um, here's the thing. In the New Testament, the New Testament was written in the first century, in the first half of the first century. During that time, almost everyone who converted to Christianity was an adult. Right? See, most people were, in the very beginning, most people were Jewish. And then they realized that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and they decided they wanted to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And so baptism was the initiation ceremony to initiate someone into the Christian faith. And they were almost always adults. 
And so almost all baptisms were adult baptisms. They would uh, say, all right, you want to follow Jesus Christ? We're going to baptize you, and now you are part of God's people. But what happened is the more time went by, more and more people were already Christians, and they started having children. So if a Christian father and a Christian mother had a, a child, they wanted that child to be a Christian. They wanted them to be part of the Christian faith. And so baptism is the initiation rite into the church. So they began to ask, well, can I not baptize my child, my infant even, into the church? Uh, we don't have any records in the New Testament of people baptizing babies. They're not there. Although there are a couple places where it said uh, Billy Joe decided to become a Christian and asked to be baptized along with his whole household. His name wasn't actually Billy Joe, right? I'm just throwing that in there because I like that name, <laughs> Billy Joe. But, um, so Billy Joe accepted Christ and he was baptized and initiated into the church along with his whole household. It's what it says in the scripture. Who was in his household? Well, it was probably his wife, maybe his children, maybe his servants. It's possible could have been some really young children in that family. We don't know. It just says along with his whole household. But as I said, during New Testament times, almost everyone was already an adult when they became a Christian. But by the second and third generation, after the New Testament had already been completed, there were more infants that were being born into Christian families, and their families wanted them from the very beginning to be initiated into the Christian church. And so that's where infant baptism became more and more prominent within the church. Um, in method, the Methodist tradition, I like to say that baptism, infant baptism, is the longest ceremony that we perform. What do I mean when I say that? Does, that? does that mean that the service takes a really long time? That's not what I mean. What I mean is that when a, when a father and a mother bring me a child, and they say, we would like our child to be baptized. I say, all right. We meet down in front of the church. I hold the baby in my arms. I take the water and I sprinkle it on their head. The child has no idea what I'm doing. But we are asking God to pour out His grace on that child so that one day that child will grow up and accept Jesus Christ. We are also asking God to pour out His grace on the parents so that they will raise that child in such a way that one day it will receive Christ for him or herself. We're asking God to pour out His grace on the congregation that they would help raise the child to do the same. But I sprinkle the water on that child's head and the parents then take the child out and the service is over. But guess what? The baptism is not over yet. The baptism continues until the day. And it may take 10 years. It may take 20 years before that child finally comes to the realization and understands for themselves Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is the Savior. And I accept Him for myself. Then the child comes back who is now maybe an adult and they come back to the church. It may not even be this church. maybe another church. And they say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I understand it. And I want to do it for myself now. And at the moment that they do that, that is when the ceremony is complete. Baptism begins when they are baby. It's completed when they confirm their faith at some later point in time. So it could take 10, 
20, 30, could take 50 years before that happens. But that is um, baptism. Um, another thing about baptism. People ask me all the time, and I've just got to touch on this. People ask me all the time. What's the difference between christening and baptism? Or they say, I was christened as a baby, but now I'm older and I want to be baptized. And I just, I just it makes me cringe when I hear that. Because what it tells me is you don't understand. Christening, what you're saying is christening is baptism. Christening is a technical term. If you look in the old, uh, the old ceremonies for baptism, there was a point in the baptism when you christened the child. Um, a long, long time ago, see, children often died before they got, you know, only maybe only lived a day or two. And so you didn't name the child until you brought them to the church to be baptized. You figured if they lived long enough to be baptized, they probably were going to make it. So you withheld giving them their name until they were baptized. When they came to be baptized, you christened the child. That meant you gave them their Christian name. So one part of the baptism ceremony, and we still have this in the, sometimes in the baptism ceremony, I say, what is the name of this child? Now you've already named that child, right? Probably in, the, in today's day and age, you say, I named this child Bobby Sue or whatever. And you christen the child. And it's, that's what christening is. But it's just a part of the baptismal ceremony. So if you were christened as a child, as an infant, you were baptized. And that baptize, that baptism stands. Um, let's see how much time we got. All right. One last question that came in. Is the Bible the word of God to humans or is it humans' words about God? Is the Bible the word of God for humans or is it humans' words about God? Um. I think this question a lot of times comes from a place of people wondering, is, is, is the Bible, is there something divinely inspired about the Bible or is it just words that people have come up with? Is the Bible the word of God for humans or is it just humans' words about God? In some sense, I think it's both. Let's hear me out just a minute. The Bible is a collection of stories about people's experiences with God. It was written by many different people over thousands of years. However, the Bible is also inspired by God. Even though it came often from a very human, very imperfect context, it was guided and inspired by God. Um, you have to look at different parts of Scripture and consider the context that they were written in. Consider the genre they were written in. They are, for instance... The Ten Commandments in Exodus actually says that God inscribed on stone tablets the covenant between the stipulations of the covenant between God and his people Israel. So it says that he inscribed it with his own finger. That's not the whole Bible. That's just like the Ten Commandments that were inscribed on the stone tablets. In most places, it's, it's not so clear. Now, if it's something is a prophecy... Maybe God spoke to a prophet and he said, all right, prophet Bill, I want you to go to the king and here's what I want you to tell him. And I want you to tell him exactly like this. 
Well, that's pretty clear. God told them what to say, and they were supposed to say it exactly how God said it. Or he said, write this down, and don't you change what I'm telling you to write. There are a few places in Scripture it says that. But in most places in the Scripture, it was people just like you and me who were living in a town who had a particular culture that they were living in, and they were trying to express the ideas that God gave them in language that people could understand. So you have to look at what part of the scripture you're reading. However, with all of it, all of it, you have to understand that God uses humans and their ideas to communicate his word to people. Most importantly, the Bible is the word of God. It is the most important way that God communicates with his people. If God wants something to be remembered for all time as his way of thinking, as his way of doing, it is, has been, for the most part, included in the Scripture. Because it does not change, it's reliable, and it tells us what is most important and what we must know and what doesn't change. Um, God inspired people who wrote the Bible, and the people. he also inspired the people who collected the Bible. You understand that the Scripture was compiled from sources that ranged over thousands of years by many different people from many different times. How do we know that everything that's in the Bible is reliable? God inspired the people who collected it. Well, are there other things that didn't make it into the Bible? Yes, there are other books that didn't make it into the Bible. Why not? Sometimes it was because they weren't very reliable, very, weren't very good things. Sometimes they were good things. There's a book called the Didache, which is which a religious book that Christians used in the first century. Didn't make it into the Bible. Not a bad book. It's very interesting, very helpful, but it's not in the Bible. God didn't want it in the Bible, apparently. I believe that the books that we have in our Old and New Testament are the very books that God inspired people to collect and that they are there so that we know how to live our life. The Bible is the foundation of all Christian faith and practice. It is the primary source for how we live our life. Furthermore, it is different from all other books. Now, you can pick up lots of great books from the library. Some of them can help you in your faith and can be, be useful. But none of them are like the Bible. The Bible is the living Word of God. It, it speaks to us. When we pick it up and we open its pages and we read, when we do it prayerfully, when we do it from a place of faith, God speaks to us in a way that He speaks to us in no other book. He speaks to you, He can speak to you personally through the Scriptures. So it's very important that we, we hold the Scriptures in deep reverence and that we seek God's revelation from it. So that's the questions that I wanted to address today. And I want to end with a, a few questions for you to reflect on. Do you have a real personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He is a person with a personality. Is he a person to you that you can relate to? Or is he just some person that you read about in a book? I would, 
I would encourage you that if he's just some historical figure, if he's just some person that you've read about, then you've got to go deeper. It's got to be a personal relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. He, that's what he wants. And that's what will truly have the power that you need to move forward. So I encourage you to do that. And there are ways to do that. Um, um, a spiritual retreat called the Walk to Emmaus is a, a, a beautiful way for you to uh, develop a, a deep, personal, real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'd love to sponsor you to do that, to go on that. Um, second question. Have you been baptized? Were you baptized as a child? Were you confirmed to confirm your baptism? Were you baptized as an adult? If not, would you like to be? Do you have children that you would like to ask God, uh, God's help in raising through baptism? Uh, I'd love to talk with you about that. And um, that can be a beautiful, tremendously meaningful ceremony and, and in a tremendously helpful way for you to seek God's grace in your spiritual life, in the spiritual life of your children. Last question. Do you read the Bible in order to let God speak to you? Do you study it with others? God speaks to us through the words in this book in a very personal way. But if we never open the pages and, and look to what God is saying to us, we're missing something. So we'll leave you with those questions and let's have a moment to reflect on them in quiet and silence. And then we'll have Tom come up and lead us in the closing hymn.